podcast one production. Hey guys, you're listening to Crappy to Happy. I'm Cass Dunn. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist, a mindfulness meditation teacher and author of the Crappy to Happy books. In this series, we look at all of the factors that might be making you feel crappy and give you the tools and the techniques that will help you to overcome them. In each episode, I introduce you to interesting, inspiring, intelligent people who are experts in their field, and my hope is that they will help you feel less crappy and more happy. Today, I'm talking to Maz Compton, and Maz, as you may know, had a massively successful career, first as an MTV presenter and then co-host of the successful radio show, Dan and Maz. She was the consummate party girl until she began to realise that she was drinking much more than was probably good for her. So like many people, she embarked on a dry January and quickly realised that this was a lifestyle change that she wanted to continue. It's now been four and a half years since that dry January, and I asked Maz to come in and share with us the ups and downs that she's experienced since choosing an alcohol-free life in our very alcohol-centric culture. Here's Maz. So I quit drinking on the 1st of January 2015 as a bit of an experiment. If That's probably the best word because I didn't think it would go for any much longer than a month um, and I haven't had a drink since. So it's working out pretty well for it's me. It's working really well for you. <laughs> so you basically decided to do a dry January, as many people do, often do after the Christmas New Year. Totally. And for me, it was it was more than just a, um, I'm just going to take a month, a month off drinking. It, it was a bigger, I felt my life was unravelling wow. and I wanted to kind of get myself in check. And the only thing that I really knew to do was to stop doing the thing that I didn't want to do anymore. And and we can unpack that later in the chat, but, you know, just to give everybody a bit of an overview, I found myself in a position in life which on paper was extremely successful, ticking so many boxes, kicking so many goals, but internally not coping or processing that very well. And so I turned to alcohol to help me cope with stress, pressure, and compounded trauma, basically. Mm. And when you do something so much and you hate doing it, it sends you a bit mad. So I had to figure out a way to get my head around my relationship with alcohol. So I thought, let's just do a month without that thing in my life and see what happens in that month. Maybe I'll get some more clarity on how I can manage my relationship with alcohol better. Maybe um, maybe stopping drinking for four weeks and doing the scary thing socially of going to the barbecue and not having shots of fireball when that song comes on. Um, let's see how that all goes. So it was this idea of let's do a month and see what happens. And then within that month, around day 23, I kind of had this awakening and I felt like someone had turned the lights on in the room for maybe the first time in my adult life. And I was like, wow, life really is better if you don't drink all the time. And I was able to start processing some emotional stuff and getting to know myself without um, 
drinking all the time. So it's been it's been a huge journey. And I, I didn't really set out to go, I'm never drinking again. And I didn't set out to go, I'm I'm gonna be the how to live life alcohol free girl. That was it was it wasn't a branding exercise. It wasn't it has been a, a really um empowering part of my life story and I am finding that it's connecting especially with women. And yeah. so that's why I'm so happy to be vulnerable and share my brokenness if it can help somebody realise that they can um, be a better version of themselves if they're not drinking all the time. Would you call it brokenness though? Do you think that's fair? I mean, really what you're talking about with the drinking and the pressure to keep up and then managing stress with alcohol, that's pretty standard. Yeah, for, it's normal. I, I say brokenness from, and I can only talk about myself in this context. Yeah. I can't, and I wouldn't dare judge somebody else for where they are, why they drink so much so often, um, and how they come to a place where they may want to stop doing that. But for me personally, it was a place. It was a place of brokenness that I was living out of, and that's how I was dealing with it. So instead of actually dealing with the thing, I coped. So I was coping. Um, by numbing myself, by putting on this amazing facade all the time, which was just easier to keep up and do after a few wines, if I'm being totally honest. It just is. It's just easier to do that after you feel, you know, your cup a few times. So to face all of that stuff, I really did have to look in the mirror and what I saw was a really really broken person Mm. who I had to learn to love again and I had to... I had to go and re-meet Maz Compton and figure out who she actually was away from this public persona, away from the success, away from all of that glitz and glamour and shininess. I had to come to a place of like that raw, hard look in the mirror and figure out how to how to love that person and how to nurture that girl into this person that I have become now who I'm very proud of. And Maz, when you say you know, it started off as an experiment for 31 days. You know, at the time that we are having this conversation, we are right in the middle of dry July. The, yeah, the, we sh- are. the show will air a little bit later, but there's a lot of people around Australia giving up drinking for 31 days now. And a lot of those people are just counting down yeah. to August. It really is a white knuckling kind of a process for people just yeah. until they can get that next drink. So, um, I, think, I guess I'm just observing that it's interesting for you that it was not going to be, I'm going to like detox for a month. It's I'm going to really use this opportunity to re-examine where I'm yeah. at with alcohol. And I love a challenge. I, I consistently have throughout my adult life always set myself goals and challenges and, I, and maybe that's a part of why I have become successful at what I've done. Um, but this was the ultimate challenge. Like, work in radio. I'd just been um, offered and accepted the Sydney Breakfast Show, which when it comes to radio careers, you know, you do the National Drive Show, you do the Sydney Breakfast Show, you're done. Mm. And I I, at that point thought that I would be doing the Sydney Breakfast Show for more than 10 months, to be fair. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a a much longer job. Um, But heading into that, I wanted to, to, to clear my head. But you can't, I didn't um, have a, I didn't go overseas and go to an establishment and take myself out of my environment to do it. I, I did it head on. I did it at the height of my radio career, at the height of the pressure of that radio job. 
um, I went, okay, here's the challenge. Let's go to all the client functions. Let's do when they open that bar on a Friday afternoon on that world famous rooftop. Let's not smash a couple of Jaeger bombs. Let's actually let's maybe have a soda water and see how we go. So it really truly was an experiment because I didn't shift. Um, much of my life, I kept living my life. I just eradicated the one thing that was unraveling it all. And I can only say that in hindsight. I think, uh, you know, four and a half years later, I can look back and go, well, that's what I did. At the time, I was like, man, I just need to stop drinking so much and I don't know how. I know in your book too, you refer a lot to, and it's obviously you were working in an industry that does have a lot of, you know, glitzy events and rooftop parties and lots of alcohol. But there are a lot of women I see, and not just, you know, in my profession, but in my personal life and my friends and everybody around me, that uh, that I need to be working in a, that sort of industry to still feel that social pressure to drink or even just to just have to come home and have yeah, wine, like wine o'clock. It's so yeah. standard. Yeah. And I talk about, I talk about the industry in my book, not to blame the industry. It was always my choice, but that's just my story. It's where that was my reality. My reality now, I have a four month old baby and two stepkids. Like I'm a mum. And, and so I have a lot of mum friends now. Whereas, you know, back then I was socializing with people in radio circles and, you know, clients and sales and TV and all the rest of it. Now I like really hang out in my tracky in the park a lot. And, and, you know, drinking mums is a real issue in this country it, it and, really is. and I'm immersed in this world now which I I think is really excellent I feel that I now as a mum have permission to speak to other mothers whereas before I didn't really have that permission because I could only come at it from a corporate standpoint because that was my journey but I'm journeying through motherhood not not drinking alcohol and I know there's there's many mothers and no judgment at all because I get how hard it is um, there's many mothers journeying through motherhood drinking a lot, maybe a bit too much too often, and, and they're the people who I want to speak to because if I can do motherhood and not get drunk, anyone can do it. I think too, um, my observation and my experience even as a mother is that for many women it's the only, they feel like it's the only escape when you've got babies, when you've, when you're at home and there's all of that, there's no escape. You can't just go out for a yoga class or a massage or some, take a nap. They feel like the only escape is in that glass of wine. The best way to assess, like, do I have a drinking problem? Cause that's the question that everyone throws around. Like, yes. so people will say things like, well, I, I said this, I was like, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. And by definition, when you look up the definition of alcoholic, according to the AA manifesto, which I have read, not because I went to AA, just for research for my book, to be honest. I read it after I stopped drinking. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, I should have read this ages ago. It's really helpful. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I did not identify with that definition. I didn't feel powerless under a disease that I could not control. I did not feel that. And I knew I could just stop drinking for a month. I knew that I could do that. And the definition of alcoholic is not anything that resonated with me. And so I was in this really gray area of like, well, what am I? How, do I have a drinking problem or do I just drink a bit too much too often? And is that a problem? When does that become a problem? How do we draw a line in the sand? So I, um, the reason for the book is because I wrote it for anyone who's ever sat in that space, which I sat in. And I was like, well, I don't think that that 
is what I am, but I'm definitely not sober and I'm definitely not doing my life the best way that I can. I'm definitely not showing up as my the best version of myself every single day. So somewhere between that extreme and that extreme, there's this huge grey area. area. And I think, and I would say 90% of adults sit in that grey area and, and it's this sliding scale and one week you're further towards one end and, and when we have a bad week, we go further towards the other end or when we have a great week and we're celebrating, we go further towards that other end. So finding your why, which is I'm getting to the point of answering your question of how mums feel like they need to escape their terrible children all the time <laughs> by drinking wine. Um, <laughs> finding the why in, so why am I drinking? Why do I feel like having a glass of wine is the only way I can cope with my life? When you can drill, start drilling down into that, and that's a big, long, hard, scary look in the mirror. When you can start asking yourself those questions, then you will start uncovering answers. So for me, again, I can only really draw from my journey at the time, which didn't involve being a mum, but it involved being in the same space as a mum may find herself, which is I'm drinking too much too often. I don't know how to do it. Like, Quitting drinking is social suicide. Like I, I, there will, I will die. I literally was like, if I stop drinking, I will die. Well, I can tell you now I'm not dead. Um, as far as I know, nobody has died from stopping drinking, but a lot of people have died from continuing. Mm. So there's a nice little wake-up call for anyone there who thinks that stopping drinking is the worst thing that you'll ever do to your, in your life. You just have to redefine a whole bunch of stuff when you figure that out. So, So figuring out... For me, it was, so why do I drink all the time? Like, why why do I go to these events and I say to myself in the car, I'm not going to drink tonight, and then I get a taxi home and I have to leave my car in the car park and then pay the overnight fee and then go and get a taxi back. And um, believe it or not, Cass, I'm an introvert, and I, uh, which means I actually energise from spending time away from people and then I bring all of that energy to the environment that I get put in. So being a performer by nature who's an introvert is a really confusing space to sit in a lot when you don't realize that about yourself. So I would drink so that I wouldn't feel social anxiety in a room. That was one um, reason why I drank was to to cope with the environments that I found myself uncomfortable in. Boredom. I moved um, four times in four years into different cities and different jobs. So each time you're that new kid in class, I then it's a brand new environment, it's new roads, it's a new way to work, it's a new job, it's a new everything. And so so when everything changes, you gravitate towards the consistent thing that won't let you down. And for me, that was a glass of red at night. And I ended up just sitting at home and drinking glasses of wine a lot because I was bored. And I think for mums, that can be a factor is I have been singing Wind the Bobbin Up all day to my one-year-old child, wind the bobbin up. And you go mental. Like you legit get to the end of the day and you're like, I feel like an insane person. So I understand how that go-to, that grab for, that one consistent thing that won't let you down feels natural. But it's a lie and it it will let you down eventually. But figuring out why, why does that feel like your escape and how can we escape to a better place is probably a good place to start if you're in a position where you want to redefine your relationship with alcohol. That's how I did it. It's not the only way. It's, that's just my story. 
I'm really interested in the fact that you gave up for 31 days and then you just you just stayed stopped because many people <laughs> take breaks from alcohol, myself included. I Which is I- good. Can I just also say, like, if you just have a month off now and then, that's fine. Like, that's actually a really great thing. It's good for your liver. It's good for your brain cells. It's good for your decision-making. It's a good thing to take some time away occasionally. Um, but if you feel like your relationship with alcohol is unhealthy, then you need to do maybe more than just have a month off when things get, a, things get you know, a little cray. So, oh, I'm going to tone it down by having a month off because if you get entrapped in that cycle, you come back with a vengeance and you have a very, very wet August. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's <laughs> tr- true for a lot of people. Yeah. But, but even people who do recognise they have a problem and they say, that's it, I'm done, I'm going to stop, they find it hard to stay stopped. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, look... I don't know what the solution is for people who go through that because that wasn't my story. Wasn't yours. So I mm. I will have to say that stopping drinking was one of the easiest things that I've done. And and I will simplify it because you'll probably go, hang on a second, somebody who really is someone who has alcohol dependency disorder, which I think I probably did have, if I'm being honest, to just straight up stop drinking one day and then never have a drink since is a pretty unheard of story. But the way in the beginning days that I did that journey is I woke up every day and I realised that it was my decision. So, you know, um, Bob in accounts, how he got you really wasted last weekend? He actually didn't. You got yourself wasted. You just didn't have the balls to tell Bob to piss off because he kept buying you drinks. That's the reality of the world that we live in. So when you can stop caring what other people think so much and you can actually each day go, it is my choice if I'm going to drink alcohol today. It's 100% up to me. And so every single day from the 1st of January 2015, I've gone, it's my choice to drink alcohol today and I'm not going to drink alcohol. And at the time, the worst possible thing that could have ever happened to me, except for losing a family member, would be to lose my job. Mm. And that happened 10 months later. And I still didn't have a drink. And I woke up that morning on the 6th of October, 2015. And I was like, oh, it's my decision to not have a drink today. And yeah, of course, I'm not going to have a drink because I've done 10 months and, and I'm enjoying the person that I've become and this woman who I am. And I feel empowered and I'm helping people by sharing my story. And this is awesome. And then I got fired that day. And I still didn't drink. Mm. So when you realise that it's actually 100% your own fault and not to make anyone feel bad or ashamed, but it's your fault that you're here. But that means that it's 100% up to you to get yourself out of it, which means it's 100% possible because you're not relying on anyone else. Yeah, true. This this journey for me is all about self-empowerment. It's about taking responsibility for your actions, realising that you are where you are because of a whole bunch of decisions, good, bad or indifferent, but you can change that course of action really simply by just making one choice every day and that's how I did it and that's why it was easy because I never had to argue with anyone who was in my face about not drinking because I was like, I'm sorry, Sonia, that you're upset that I'm not going to have shots with you but I've decided that I'm not drinking today and you screaming at me is not going to change my choice because I'm making an empowered choice for my life. I would like to come back to the social pressure issue because I think that is a really big issue that gets in a lot of people's it's way. Huge. But going back to that um, 
you know, you lost your job after 10 months and by then you had had 10 months of learning to live without alcohol and yeah. building that, um, j- j- knowing, knowing it within you that life is better without alcohol. And mm. I think going back to that starting, stopping thing, what I have found, because I have been, uh, we actually sat in this studio last year, I think November, Christina Carlson was a guest and she said, I just took a year off drinking. And I think it was actually more like 15 months at the time. And I said, oh yeah, I'm doing that. Because at the time I had this idea that I'd sort of was taking a month off, you know, till Christmas or whatever, and just having a break. And But in the back of my mind thinking it would be really cool to go for longer, like to, yeah, to, sure. to do a year. Anyway, so she said, oh, yeah, that's great. So anyway, I got as far as I think four months. Yeah. And um, like ticked off the boxes, ticked off dry January, got to 90 days, got to 100 days, tracking, you know, and feeling really, really good. And then was just in a social situation with some friends, hadn't seen them for ages, and they handed me a drink. And it was just, oh, oh, okay. I said, oh, I haven't really been drinking and, oh, well, you don't have to drink it. But, you know, sitting there, drink in front of me, it just, I just honestly, it was almost accidental. Like I didn't wake sure. up that day thinking today's the day I'm going to drink again after four months of not drinking. No. But before you know it, you're just back into that, oh, well, totally. just have a glass of wine. And that's really, really common right. and really normal. So, But since then I've gone and had other, I've gone back off, you know, another six weeks, another six weeks, whatever. And over time you do start to realise within you, even with the off-on thing, do you know what? I actually do life heaps better when I'm yeah. not drinking. Yeah, I'm do. still as stressed and as busy, but I cope better. I yes. sleep better. I nothing things don't phase me as much. And I think you just have to build up that in, like as you obviously have done. Like you build up that inner knowing within you, yeah. and then other people can't get in your way because you know within yourself it's just better. I guess it's just like a muscle. Yeah, you know, and the, and the more you you train it, the the stronger it gets and the more resilient it is. Um, and I think it's really normal for people to want to, and I'm not um, downplaying your journey at all, but it's this novelty factor of like, I'm going to go six months without drinking. And that's great. Like I'm not dissing anyone that makes that choice. That's an awesome choice. But you have to ask yourself, why are you doing that? Is it so you can put it on social media and brag and then go back to, and then just go back to drinking? Or is, Because I got to a point in my life where it was actually about me wanting to be a better person for me. And then everyone else gets to benefit from that too. Mm. But it was about, it wasn't about everyone else's approval or being able to say, I did this thing, how awesome am I? Please give me validation. It wasn't about pre-planning an Instagram post that I'm going to do six months down the track when I've not had alcohol for six months and everyone can tell me how cool I am. It, it was a very private and personal choice. And so I think the reason why people will say, I'm going to do six months and they only go four is because they don't have that driver of well, we're making mass empowerment and mm. big change here. We're just, we're ticking a box, which is fine. Like I am like I said, if you're going to have some time away from alcohol, I encourage it. I highly, highly, highly encourage it. But if you want to go one step beyond that, you've got to go, you've got to go deeper. Like you've got to get some therapy really. And you can do that with yourself by asking yourself the tough questions of like, okay, so why are we doing this again? What's the point? Because mm. if you've got a rock solid reason you you probably will go 
further along, you know, and you may, you may get to that 12 months. And then I feel after 12 months, when you do have a drink, you're fine about it because you've got a better relationship with alcohol. You know, like you actually know what your limit is and, and you, you're like, well, I did this, I did without this for 12 months. So I'm, I maybe just want to have like one drink when I go out, if I go out with this group of friends and then not, you know, 80, yeah. 20, whatever, yeah, no, whatever, you know, I have a friend who, works. who did that. She had a pretty rough time with alcohol. Um, she, well, that means she had a pretty good time with alcohol. <laughs> she actually ended up in a really <laughs> bad place. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it was really good until it got really bad. Exactly. And, and it switches really quickly. <laughs> yep. It's called the death sip. And then she took a, she took a, I think it was a year, and then she, now what she does is if there's a special occasion, she has one drink. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I that confuses me. I think, well, but what? I don't know. I, I, no judgment for anybody. I think good on her. I th- and for, to be able to go back to have one drink, many people couldn't do that. They would be straight back into the, well, that's the cycle. Re- like she's got, I would say that's probably just willpower mm. because one is better than 100. <laughs> of course. Because so, I know you're saying, Cass, you're like, well, why bother having the one? Just yeah. have zero. Yes, exactly. But if she wants to have one, one's better than 10 and it probably used to be 10. Yes. So that's like a really huge improvement. And yeah. if she can manage the one and she can um, have a good relationship with that one, she probably really enjoys it and yes. there's freedom in that choice. Yes. And that's the other thing that I'm really passionate about talking about is I am the freest I've ever been in my life and I feel if you have an attachment to a substance, you are living an enslaved life and you're trapped in a thing. So, again, this is all about becoming free from, oh, my God, I don't want to go to so-and-so's wedding because I just don't want to drink this weekend. Mm. That's not a free life. That's not free choice. That's being trapped by a thing that has got a hold on you that's affecting your decisions on how you're going to show up t- for your friends. Yeah. So, um, and and that's why with my book, The Social Rebellion, it's it's about true freedom begins with a cheeky month of alcohol because it, that is, again, where I believe we should all be living from is an empowered and a free life. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're constantly worried about what am I going to do if I have this next drink because if I have one, I have 10 and if I have 10, you know, all of a sudden six months has gone by and here we, you know, and we're having this conversation again and nothing's changed. Yeah, exactly. Can we talk about the social pressure? Did you experience that in the early days when you... Oh, massively. Right. Oh, massively. That was honestly, Cass, maybe my number one fear going into the experiment was how am I going to show up to work events, to weekend barbecues to my friend's housewarming party and not drink. How? How? Because what's not the best thing to do is to lock yourself in your house with a hot water bottle and some comfy pyjamas for four weeks because that is not going to help you actually manage your relationship with alcohol. You've got to practice it. So Mm. I put myself in every situation that I normally would go and have a billion drinks at and just didn't drink. But I legit had a grown human adult man yell in my face when I didn't want to do a shot at a party. Really? Yell, like was so angry, like so insanely angry at me because I wouldn't do shots. And I just said to him very calmly, 
even though on the inside I was not calm. Um, I was like, mate, I haven't had a drink. At this point it was two months. Mm. It's like I haven't had a drink for two months. Let me break this down for you. If I was going to have a drink right now, it's not going to be with you and it's not going to be a shot. Mm. So please go away and stop yelling at me for not partaking in this celebratory ritual that we are all doing right now. I'm still here. I'm still at the party. I'm actually having a great time. Yeah. You don't seem to be having a good time though because you're angry at me for my personal choice to not have a drink. Now, that's insane. But that's so, so common. It's so, so common. So common. So I over the I think over the time, uh, over that first six months initially, definitely, because by six months everyone was like, let's invite Maz, oh, let's not bother, she's not drinking. Or like let's in my, invite Maz and no, she's not going to drink so we don't need to give her a hard time anymore. But the first six months was rough. And I had people, I had somebody who I really, really respect um, say to me, well, make, well, give us a call when you're back on the wagon. Like, don't bother hanging out with me until then. Or, um, well, how long's that gonna last, hey? Or how long are you gonna do how long are you gonna do that for, Compton? You know? And I just so the social pressure is real. And I'm not gonna sit here and go, Oh, it's fine. You'll you'll cope. It's hard. And I've I've let friendships go. Um, some of them naturally fizzled out because all we used to do is get together and drink. And I I'd eventually stopped doing that. So over time, I rejigged my social engagement and I started saying to my girlfriends, especially my really close friends, who's, who all still drink wine and whatever, and, you know, they have healthy relationships with alcohol and all good, um, we started doing brunch. I started going to the gym a lot. I started going for walks with friends and I started finding things where alcohol wasn't the key ingredient. So mm. I... I sort of, I guess, transitioned my social life into something completely different. Um, and it's different again now as a mum, definitely. But at that point, you know, n- like not having kids, what else do you do except for go to the bar and hang out with everyone? So I just had to rejig that. So some friendships naturally fizzled out. Some friendships I decided I'm just going to stop contacting. I'm not going to catch up with this person anymore. Like we're done. You've, you've actually hurt me. Mm. And I don't want to have a person like that speaking into my life when I'm making all these good choices. Yeah. So it it is it's really hard and it's um it's sad as well that cuz that you there's some people who I really like and I'm like, "Oh, we had great times together, but unless we're both wasted, like we have nothing in common." So we've been spending all this time together but we don't even know each other's middle names. Like that's not real connection and we are hardwired for real face-to-face connection. So I make sure now, and also being an introvert, I don't want um, lots of social, social, social stuff. So I don't do mother's groups, but I do, I have like a couple of really close mum friends and we just do one-on-one time. Mm. And so I found my quality of relationship escalated massively because I was actually investing in really wholesome one-on-one quality time, which fills me up, you know, and that, and, and those relationships are the ones that I'll have for the rest of my days and they're the ones that I'm really happy to have. And the other ones, it's sad and you have to grieve it and, you know, you. I now keep this friendship garden tight and bright, but I hope that somehow 
me making my choices has planted a seed in those people and that one day they you know, get their relationship with alcohol more manageable and maybe we can, or maybe maybe it's just not for me to be in their world anymore, but hopefully my story will empower them to go on a similar journey to me. I hope you're enjoying season four of the show. And hey, I would love for you to check out my brand new YouTube channel where I'm sharing even more tips on how you can feel less crappy and more happy. It's youtube.com forward slash Cass Dunn. So come over, check it out. I'd love for you to subscribe. And if you haven't already taken my free seven day happiness challenge, you can sign up for that at castdunn.com forward slash happiness. There are plenty of people, I will say women, but people generally who do, even if they don't say it out loud, they quietly worry that they're drinking too much. They, you know, have this little, oh, not, you know. I know, I know too many. Right. I know too many people. But then I think there's this other group of people, because I think those people, when they get clear with that and they overcome the challenges and the fears and, you know, they can, they can handle that. But there's another group of people who say, so what? Like, I just drink. Like, I drink. I don't drink more than anybody else. I just drink. Yeah. Like, what's the yeah. what's the problem? Yeah. But it's a big problem. Like, from yeah. a public, and I don't want to get all into the, the stats and the, you know, risk factors, but I think it has to be said because I just read that 90% of people, this is a very recent survey, 90% of people who drink believe they drink responsibly, but only 30% of people actually know what the healthy drinking guidelines are. Yeah, and they um, the healthy drinking guidelines are shifting a little bit too because there's been another study that's come out of the UK and the recommendation is zero, zero drinks. Right. That is the healthy recommendation of alcoholic beverages, mm. zero. Mm. That So 1.2 standard drinks, whatever that is, People think that that's a full glass of wine. A full glass of wine is, I think, two standard Yeah, for, at least one females. and a half. Yep. Mm. So you have a glass of wine three days a week. You're way over the, the healthy recommended intake of alcohol per week. And the other thing that we do, which we're brilliant at because we're geniuses, is we totally undersell how many drinks we've had. Yes. So if I, I have definitely done this, like caught up with my mum after a bit of a big night, and she's like, oh, gee, you look a bit hungover, um, which was her being very polite because I would have looked horrendous. But oh, how many drinks did you have last night? I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh, probably five or six. It was definitely 15. Right. Like it was it, it was 100% 15 because when you think about the beer I had at home before the taxi came and then the, we started on beers and then got to wine and then ended with a nightcap and we were there for hours and hours and there were 20. And we all bought around, like, so you do the math. But we tell ourselves that it's only a few. And so for those people that sit in that space, the what happens is when you don't realise it's an issue, somebody else might realise it for you and mm. call you out on it. And that's always a tricky conversation. Mm. And people also really don't like confrontation. So usually people will just sit there and put up with you destroying your brain cells every weekend and they put up with the misbehaving and the escalation of craziness that happens because I feel like drinking is this slippery slope for where sure. you, you start off and it's super manageable and it is only on Friday nights and you don't really get that hungover. And it ends up in 
this thing that you have to do every single day just to cope with your life. And that happens so scarily steadily that you don't even realize it. And it, it for me, it was like I woke up in 2014 and was like, whoa, girlfriend, you have an issue here. How did we get here? How the hell did we even get here? Like, I don't even remember. I don't, I don't remember becoming this person, but I am this person now. So for those people who don't think they drink too much, that it's for them to figure out. Yeah. And again, so with the social rebellion, my, I guess, my question is not just for people who think they drink too much. My question is for everybody. So for every single person, ask yourself the question, am I drinking a bit too much and a bit too often and what can I do about that? Or how is how is my relationship with alcohol? So not how many drinks did I have and yeah. is that socially acceptable? Because what's socially acceptable is so bad for us. It is so unhealthy. It's detrimental. It Like alcohol literally kills our brain cells. Do people not realise this? And gives us it, cancer. It's a, it's a known carcinogen, neurotoxin. If you have, as a woman, I don't know the exact number, but it's not much wine per week your chance of getting breast cancer increases by 40%. Mm. Not 4%, which is still bad because nobody wants cancer. But you're, so you're dabbling with this stuff that is killing your insides, killing your brain cells. It's the reason why you you feel like you can do things that you don't do when you're sober, when you're drunk, is because it stops your brain working. So when your brain doesn't work, you do things like take all your clothes off and jump in the pool at the boss's house, which you wouldn't do at 10.30 in the morning at a staff meeting. And there's a reason that you don't do it at it, during the day is because your brain is working and then you have a half a dozen drinks and all of a sudden you're doing all this madness and that's because your brain stopped working, guys. That's what alcohol is doing to us. That's why we do silly things. And that's why people die. Yeah. Like the number of lives that would be lost from somebody being too drunk. 6,000 6, every year. Terrifying. And 144,000 hospitalizations every year. Terrifying. Alcohol related. I read that before we chatted. Good Good memory. Good, good, good See, stats. you haven't had your, you <laughs> it's haven't had your cup of <laughs> um, wine. I just, but to, give, to get that, I'm going to, before we leave, I'm going to ask for your tips for anybody listening. But also I just want to say, even if you're not jumping in the pool with your clothes on at the boss's party, for a lot of women, it's just not being quite fully present when they put their kids to bed. Yeah. You know, it's still being a bit shady in the morning on the school 100%. drop off. It's, you know, like it's that day to day. It's not bringing your A game to anything in your life, parenting, work, relationships, anything. And what I realised too, Cass, is that when, so I thought I was doing okay. Like I really did. And and even though I was like, oh, I think I drink too much too often, not really sure how to go about this, but I'm going okay. I'm still showing up to work, still kicking butt at my career. Um, Like I I was doing okay. What I realised after I'd given up drinking, is that I was probably running at about 60% of my capacity. And when you start running at about, I'm going to say I'm running at about 90% now because I feel like there's more improvement to do and more empowerment to have. Um, And no one wants to give themselves a 10 out of 10, let's be honest. But that difference is huge. And you don't realize it because when you just run at 60%, you think I'm going full throttle and I'm killing it. And 
let me tell you, you are not. And when when those lights go on in that room or you start seeing colour for the first time in a long time, it is it's a it's another beautiful addiction because now I don't want to not be present. I don't want to miss out on a second of this life mm. with a haze, with a hangover, with a fuzziness, or I don't want to lose another memory. I don't want to lose another night. I don't want to lose another wallet. Like I am so down with this way of living and I feel like everyone will love it if they decide to go on the journey to get where I'm doing my life from right now. Um, and But again, that's it's up to everybody and you can't tell, you can lead a horse to water. You can lead a girl to a bar. <laughs> Out of a bar. <laughs> can you tell us, for our listeners who are now thinking, no, this is, this. yep, I need to, I need to take a cheeky month off alcohol and see where mm. that leads me. What's your advice for anybody in those early stages? The cravings hit, you know, the, there's pressure yeah. to drink. There's Can we catch up for drinks? How do they manage that? So first of all, I would encourage everyone, even if you think your relationship with alcohol is on point to take a month off, and the reason I say that is because if your relationship with alcohol is on point, you should be able to have a month off and it should be easy peasy. So everyone should do this. Everyone should do 31 days um, away from alcohol. And in my book, The Social Rebellion, I actually do a daily guide. Mm. So each day there is something to read and there's something to do. And I feel like when we do the physical, it, it gets into our spirit and into our body and it helps us along the road. So there's something to read and then there's something to do every day. Um, in the first 72 hours is your body's detoxing. Even if you don't drink a lot, you're still, because alcohol is a poison, when you put it into your body, every other system in your body stops working and then your body tries to get the poison out. That's why we throw up when we drink too much. It's why you break the seal, you can't stop weeing. It's your body expelling poison from itself. But after 72 hours, your body has done that and then your body is going to crave that thing again. Because especially in that pleasure center in your brain, if you associate alcohol with good times, your body just, your brain is like, give me the good times, give me the good times. So you're, you're, you kind of send your body into this really like scary space where you probably feel a bit lightheaded for a few days when you're not drinking alcohol, but that's just your body recalibrating normal because you've stuffed up what normal is. That's right. So those cravings, so... Because there's so much sugar in alcohol as well. Like I just used to smash a maxi bon every night and I would just, I'd eat sugar. That was my thing. I'm like, I'm just craving sugar and I better to have a Snickers than a tequila, you know? Mm-hmm. And But obviously that can only last for so long because <laughs> then you've got another problem. You become obese. <laughs> um, but I think in those initial stages, I think you just give your body that, like the sugar, whatever it needs to, or just get on the soda water and just flush it all out. Once you've flushed it all out physically, then you can start doing different things. So instead of having wine, have a soda water or soda water with lime is what I've always had. But now there's loads of options. They've got seed lip, which is um, a non-alcoholic um, gin. It's fermented from peas. It's, and it 
it makes you feel, it feels like you're drinking alcohol, but it's 100% alcohol free. So there's a few brands on the market. I got into kombucha, started making my own kombucha and it's a bit fizzy. It's good. It's got all that good probiotic junk that you need in your body for your gut. So, you you know, there's loads of options. You just have to just be creative with it, I think, when it comes to cravings. But point is, everyone should take 31 days away from alcohol because if you're not in a good place with alcohol and you think you are, you'll figure it out. If you're not in a good place with alcohol and you know you are, you'll figure it out. And that's better for everyone, especially you. Mm. Maz, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, For anybody, one last thing, for anybody who takes the challenge, takes a break from alcohol, can you tell them for you roughly how long before you really feel like you broke the habit, like it stopped being an issue for you, those cravings kind of didn't show themselves anymore? Because that's a big question for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it would be different for everybody. But physically, uh, physically, the cravings go in a couple of days, like really, and then it becomes a mental game. Mm. And then it's just getting mentally fit. So for me, it was about day 23, where like, I really, really had this complete life transformation moment. And well, as I said earlier, it felt like somebody switched the lights on in the room. And that was my aha moment to quote Oprah. And I am, I am a transformed person by the renewing of my mind. And I'm doing this thing now for a different reason than what I started 23 days ago. And for some people, it might not be that in your face. It might just be all of a sudden you wake up and you haven't had a drink for 12 months because it was no biggie, but you feel better for it. Yeah. So it, it is, it's something to commit to. But as I said, like when you simplify, I don't think it's about willpower. I really don't. And I don't think it's necessarily anything other than discipline and just making, it's one choice. That's all this is really. How many choices do you make every day? Make one less of those and make this one. So put your clothes out the night before and what you're going to wear. Then you wake up in the morning, you don't have to make a choice about what you're wearing and you can make a choice to not drink alcohol. And that's not going to stuff your brain up with the, you know, the, we've only got a certain amount of decisions we can make every day. It's one choice every day and, and it's a good choice to make. So that would be my encouragement is to just go on the journey and, and, and see. And, and also let me know how that journey goes because I love hearing from people that have that live freely and empowered lives now um, because I've been able to share my story. And and thank you for helping me share it too. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it, Maz. Pleasure. Maz's book, The Social Rebellion, is available in stores. And while Maz doesn't do social media, she does have a website, mazcompton.net, if you would like to go and check her out. My new book, Crappy to Happy, Love What You Do, is out in all good bookstores. So if you want to find more happy in work, go and check it out. On the next episode, I'm talking to Lucas Patchett, who is one half of the team who founded Orange Sky Laundry. Lucas and I chatted about why he chose to start a charity and why everyone should think about giving back to their community. Crappy to Happy is a Podcast One Australia production, produced by Dave Zwolenski and with audio by Darcy Thompson. For more great podcasts, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the app.